Acts 28 verse 11 to 31. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled from as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. We know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he had said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Why don't you uh, keep your Bibles open in Acts chapter 28. Uh, we're going we're, we're to be finishing up the book of Acts today. And next week we're going to be kicking off in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, so that's going to be a wild ride in Jeremiah. But I don't know about you, but when, when you get to the, book of, the end of the book of Acts, does it feel a little bit like a, an anti-climax? There's lots of questions still, isn't there? First, and my first question that I kind of always think about when I read this chapter is somewhat trivial, 
is how big is his house? I mean, seriously, this, guy, this sounds like the ideal lockdown scenario, right? He can still have guests uh, and, and he can have lots of them. He's not restricted to five people. Clearly, there's no COVID restrictions here at the moment in Rome. And, uh, you know, I'm very thankful that we can still gather and we can still go and uh, see one another and visit people. At the moment, though, if I'm to come to your house, I have to either sell one of my kids or leave them at home or something like that. Um, because we're, we're a family of six, so we can't actually go to somebody else's house. But for Paul, he's got like limitless capacity, it seems, in this house of his. The next question uh, I ask is, what happened when he finally went before Caesar? Because if you've been here over the last few weeks, the whole reason that Paul is headed to Rome, we know, is because he's appealed to Caesar, hasn't he? And we don't hear anything about Caesar. Uh, in fact, the only bit of evidence I can see about Caesar in the New Testament is when Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians from Rome, and he says this, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And so some of Caesar's household have actually become Christians, and he's writing to the Philippian church and saying, these people greet you. But how come Luke doesn't report on Paul's trial before Caesar? And third, what happened after these two years under house arrest, where he continued to preach the gospel? Where did he go? What did he do? How long did he do it for? Who did he take with him? How successful was it? There's just silence on that from Luke. And look, I think they're all great questions, and some of them, as I I kind of found out throughout the week, you can actually find... uh, evidence of some of these uh, questions uh, in church history documents that were written in the second century, but these questions are not actually the concern of Luke as he writes to Theophilus in Acts chapter 28. What is Luke trying to show us here? Well, I think the first thing that Luke wants to show us here is that God has fulfilled His promise to take the Gospel to the very ends of the earth. Remember way back in chapter 1, Jesus, He spoke to His disciples and He makes them a wonderful promise. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we've been over this almost every week. But you will receive power, He says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He's speaking to His disciples and you, my disciples, will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here they are, they're now in Rome. And it's not that Rome is the very ends of the earth, but it's It's actually the centre of the earth, it's the centre of the the known world. Rome was a very significant moment for the Gospel. And if the Gospel was to continue to spread and and grow, it needed to reach Rome, the epicentre of the Roman Empire. But there was also a particular promise that God fulfils by bringing Paul to Rome. Do you remember Acts chapter 23? Acts chapter 23, during his trials and his persecutions as the Jews held their accusations against him, this is what happens. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So here he is, in Rome, testifying about Jesus. God is fulfilling his mission to take the good news of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. And to deliver Paul to Rome where he can testify and proclaim Jesus further and further. And really, this is 
always been on view throughout the final chapters of the book of Acts. What we've been looking at is not simply the history of the early church, what we've been looking at is Jesus' continuing work in the world to move the Gospel from Jerusalem, uh, the very outskirts of the Roman Empire, to the, to the centre of the Roman Empire, which is from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Remember how he starts right back in chapter 1, verse 1? He starts by writing to Theophilus in my former book, Theophilus, that was Luke, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And until he was taken up into to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so, by implication, Acts is all about what Jesus is continuing to do in his world. And it's written by Luke to Theophilus to show him that the arrival of the Gospel in Rome is not some kind of accident, but it's actually the evidence that Jesus is fulfilling his mission. But I think the main thing that's on view here in Acts chapter 28 is actually what's going on with the Jewish people, the people who hear the Gospel in Rome. So let's have a look at what Paul does when he arrives in Rome. The first thing he does is he gathers a large group of people to his house. He's only there for three days, verse 17. Three days later, he called called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, Although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So, so this first meeting, it seems that Paul's just trying to, he's just trying to get a bit of a lay of the land, find out what's going on in Rome at the time. Will things be as, tense, as intense for him here in Rome as it was in Caesarea? But he's also wanting to build an affinity with the Jews here. And he does that in a couple of ways. The language that he uses, he talks about our people. Uh, He he speaks about the customs of our ancestors. But he also achieves it just in what he says to the Jewish leaders. And he's essentially putting forward a case for his innocence here in these first few verses. He says, he's essentially saying, I've done nothing wrong against the Jews or or against their uh, customs. He's saying the Romans, they actually saw my innocence and they wanted to free me, but they couldn't. The Jewish opposition in in Jerusalem led him to appeal to Caesar. And then finally, he's saying, I'm a prisoner simply for believing in the hope of Israel, which for him is Jesus. So that is the first gathering of these people in his new Roman digs. And in reply, remarkably, the Jewish leaders, they hadn't heard anything bad about Paul at all. Have a look in verse 21. We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Now, we don't really know why this is the case, do we? Who knows, really? 
Maybe not enough time had passed from the time that Paul set sail in Jerusalem to the time that he arrived in Rome for the news to kind of travel that kind of distance. But now, he actually has an audience. They have, they have heard enough whispers about this new branch of Judaism, which is essentially still how they viewed it. It wasn't a separate religion. It was just a branch of Judaism. And they want to hear more. But at this stage, what they've heard is not very positive. If you have a look there in verse 22, they say, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. But despite these somewhat negative rumours, they're actually intrigued enough to come back to Paul's digs again and to hear more. And this time, the crowd is even bigger. And what happens in this gathering is absolutely crucial for us to see. First, we see Paul's efforts to persuade them about Jesus. Have a look there in verse 23. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Now, do you see what Paul's doing here with the Jews? He's persuading them about Jesus. Now, I love that language, persuading He's not just kind of laying out some key truths and saying, you know, well, it's really up to you whether or not you take this new piece of information on board. He's actually persuading them with the truth, convincing them of the truth. And this ought to shape our preaching. It ought to shape the way we do evangelism. There should be conviction and persuasion behind our teaching of the Bible and behind our evangelistic efforts because, why? We actually want people to believe this good news. But notice how he's persuading them. He says he's persuading them from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now that's really interesting, isn't it? He's seeking to persuade them about Jesus from the Old Testament. And these Jewish leaders who were there at the day, they would have known their their Old Testament inside out. They didn't have a New Testament at this point. He couldn't kind of whip out the book of Mark and take them through Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, so on, because all of the New Testament is still in the process of being written. And in fact, while this is all happening, Luke is sitting there watching on, taking notes so that he can put together his account of what took place in the early church for the sake of Theophilus. So what Paul is doing is he's walking his way through the books of the Old Testament and showing them how the Scriptures, how the Old Testament that they know and love actually point forward to Jesus That's what the Old Testament's there for, friends. In the end, the purpose of the Old Testament is to pave the way for Jesus, to create a need for Jesus, to anticipate the coming of Jesus. Let me show you this in another couple of places. This is actually the words of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he meets a couple of people on the road to Emmaus, a couple of disciples, and this is what happens. He said to them, how foolish you are, And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Isn't that wonderful? You see what he's doing there? He's walking them on the road, walking with them on the road, and he's saying, this is all about me. Everything that's written here, it's all about me. 
Every single page of the Old Testament points forward, looks forward to, shows us our need for Jesus. And then later, when Paul articulates the Gospel to the, to the Corinthians, have a look what he does here, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, it says, For what I received, so that's the Gospel, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third, on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared to keep us, and then to the Twelve, and, and so on. See, what Paul has done there is he, he's saying that the death of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that Jesus was even in the grave for three days, that is all according to the Old Testament Scriptures. That's the fulfilment of the Old Testament. And what Paul is hoping to do here in, in Rome with the Jews is simply show them that their Scriptures, their Scriptures are simply saying that Jesus is the hope of Israel. He's not preaching some new religion to them. He's not proclaiming the full, full, you know, some, some other kind of worldview. He's actually preaching to them the fulfilment of their religion, the fulfilment of their scriptures. He's saying, This is the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel has now come true in the first century in the person of Jesus. And, and, this, and at this point, I don't know about you, but you're kind of expecting light bulb moments, right? Light bulb moments. We can expect for them, you know, that Jesus is going to be the piece of the puzzle who unlocks all of the Old Testament for them, right? Well, sadly, that's not what happens. And what, what happens next, we need to understand as a complete tragedy. Have a look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. Now, we, would, we know from the book of Acts, this is nothing new. All through the book of Acts, you have this divided response to the good news of Jesus. Israel is constantly divided by the teaching of Jesus as the Messiah. And then the same thing happens when he gets to Rome. When Paul gets this opportunity, this wonderful opportunity to testify in Rome, again, rejection of the gospel. And Paul sees them arguing and debating with themselves and they're arguing over things that Paul has said about Jesus. And, and what Paul does at this point is he, he labels them as Isaiah 6 people. Have a look in verse 25. He says, The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Essentially, he says, Isaiah spoke about you. Isaiah told us that you would respond like this, Israel. Even your own prophets knew that you would reject the Messiah. Now these terrible verses from Isaiah 6 didn't mean Jews could never be converted again. It doesn't mean that it's impossible for someone with a Jewish background or from the Jewish religion to actually trust Jesus. Or even that God did not want them 
Or even Paul. It wasn't that Paul was no longer interested in them at all. Now, what's happening here is that because of the Jews' deliberate rejection of the good news of Jesus, Paul wants them to know that God's salvation has now been directed to the Gentiles. It's now been sent to the Gentiles, to the people outside of Israel. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened in Acts. On three other occasions, Jewish opposition leads Paul to turn to the Gentiles. Have a look what happens in Pisidian Antioch, Acts 13. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the, to the Gentiles. In Corinth, Acts 18, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying the Jew, to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and, he beca- and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest against them. Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. In Ephesus, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So Paul starts in the synagogue and then just moves next door to the Greek theatre. And then finally in Rome, verse 28. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. And friends, this is the great tragedy of the book of Acts. This is the story of the gospel moving from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. It's a story of God's triumphant mission in this world to take the good news of Jesus to the very edges of the earth. But along the way, the people who discard the message, who refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, are the Jewish people. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus is the hope of Israel. Jesus is the hope of Israel. Can you see that? This is an absolute tragedy. Because the Jews, Israel was supposed to be the ones who took the gospel to the very ends of the earth. They have the most precious news at their very fingertips and they just discard it like it's a piece of trash. Have a look at the way that Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans chapter 9, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I, wish, for, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs from whom... And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So they have all these privileges at their fingertips and they discard the message that is theirs for the taking. They treat it like garbage. 
And so the gospel goes to the Gentiles and Paul says, they will listen. And they did. And the Gentiles who came to Paul in his house, they were just really representatives of the vast, hungry Gentile world outside. They will listen. And they did. And for two whole years, they came to him and listened and and he stayed on in Rome and he rented his own home in that accommodation. And, And by the end of the third century, the Roman world was largely Christian. By the end of the third century. In 312 AD, Emperor Constantine comes into power and he becomes the first emperor of Rome to adhere to Christianity. Now, there's lots of questions and debate about this, whether or not it was a political stunt is another question, whether it was actually good for for Christianity or not is another question they like to throw around at Bible college, but it it really just shows you how quickly Christianity had grown from from the epicentre of Rome. Paul says the Gentiles will listen, and they did. And we did. Now, what does this mean for those of us with no Jewish history, Gentile believers? Well, first, I think it means humility as we receive grace. You know, we can often think the gospel was always ours, but it wasn't. The gospel was first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And that's the story that takes place in Acts. Every time Paul goes to a new town, he preaches first to the Jews and then he goes to the Gentiles. And so we want to recognise that we are actually humble beneficiaries of what takes place here in the book of Acts. We are humble beneficiaries of God's amazing grace that the hope of Israel through Jesus was extended to us. It's amazing. We're to recognise as well the deep tragedy that the Jews never heard, they never saw, they never understood, they never perceived that Jesus was, is the hope of Israel. So second, I think we actually want to pray for the Jewish people. And I have to confess, I I don't really do this. I've only ever had one friend who was a practising Jew when I was back in university. I used to work with her and we talked about Jesus and I prayed for her. But I don't pray for the Jews as a people. But we ought to, oughtn't we? Because the gospel came to us through them. Organisations like Jews for Jesus, you can look it up online, they'll actually help you to know how you can pray for, for Jewish people to convert to Christianity. Even our apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, he was a Jewish man, wasn't he? And so we ought to give thanks for them, as well as pray that they would see Jesus. But the last thing I want us to focus on is just the two little verses at the end of Acts. I actually love the way this book finishes. It says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And there are those two phrases that just stand out to me every time I read this. The first is, without hindrance. When in the book of Acts has Paul ever preached without hindrance? Every place he goes to, there's oppositions, there's riots, he gets driven out of town, there are plots to kill him, he gets beaten, stoned, whipped, 
but he arrives in Rome. And this phrase just stands out, without hindrance. Under Roman guard, but free to preach the gospel without hindrance. And that is just what he did for two whole years. John Stott says this, Though his hand was still bound, his mouth was open for Jesus Christ. Though he was chained, the word of God was not. What a great quote. And how remarkable is our God? He takes his messenger and he plonks him in the middle of the Roman Empire. He gives him a home that he can live safely and away from the persecution of the Jews and he allows him to preach without hindrance. Not only does he preach, but he, he writes letters from Rome. And the gospel impact of what took place in Rome was just immense. The second phrase that stands out is, with all boldness. So what did he do as he rendered home in the city of Rome? Well, he, he's not kind of waiting to, or preparing to get out and go on his next missionary journey. He just preaches the gospel with all boldness. Now, what does that mean? What is that phrase, with all boldness? It, it at least means he proclaims it clearly. In Colossians, he actually writes from Rome and he, and he asks the church to pray that he would preach clearly as he should. I expect it meant that he spoke candidly. He doesn't pull punches. He's not dancing around the issues of sin and repentance and hell, but he's laying it all out on the line. He, he's saying, this is the bad news. We're sinners. We're in the wrong with God and deserving of hell and without hope. But with Jesus, we can be forgiven and made right with God again. And he does it without regard for the consequences. He's not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm wor a little worried about my reputation here, that it's going to be somehow trashed if I lay it all, out all clearly. No, he's solely focused on proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus without hindrance and with all boldness. Now, what's our situation here in Newcastle? Well, in many ways, we're like Paul in his rented home, except... You know, sometimes over the last couple of years we've felt like we're under house arrest, but, but we're, we're not, and we're actually able to preach the gospel without hindrance. There's nothing stopping us from proclaiming Jesus, nothing. We can still go into schools here in New South Wales under the banner of SRE and proclaim Jesus to our city. We can run Wave Kids Club in January, and proclaim Jesus to our city, to the kids and to the adults in the coffee tent. We can run youth and life and rush and carols. We can do all of these things in Newcastle without hindrance. And you know, even in the midst of COVID lockdown, there was actually nothing stopping us proclaiming Jesus. And in fact, what we saw last year is that during lockdown, though it was a real pain for all of us and none of us want to go back to that, our reach actually got broader we, we had people from Tamworth and Sydney and China and Western Australia who all came to our life series and placed their trust in Jesus in 2020. Isn't that remarkable? Without hindrance is actually the banner we fly under at the moment. Now, maybe that will change one day, but at the moment, that is the state of our nation. And so as a church, we need to make sure that we, we're taking the opportunities that God is giving us to proclaim Jesus. And when I, when I say as a church... I mean, we need to organise ourselves in, in such a way that we make the most of this banner that we fly under. But also, as individuals, we need to make the most of the times we're in. And where, 
Where are those opportunities? Where are those opportunities as a church and as individuals? Well, they're in youth, aren't they? Yeah. Heaps of kids becoming Christians at the moment. But they need you parents to actually help them to be on mission at youth. And then there are the families of teens who come along to youth. What an opportunity. Soft enough to the gospel that they would allow their children to come to youth. Surely we can look for opportunities to be proclaiming the Jesus to them. They're at Rush. And again, they need you parents to help them to be on mission at Rush. And then there's the families of the kids who come along. They're next door to you. They're in your workplace. There was 25 of those opportunities who came along to the fatherhood night the other week. How awesome. How awesome is that? And as a church, we want to keep creating opportunities for you to invite. But as individuals, well, that's on us to take up those opportunities. And look, I know inviting people is hard. I had a couple of mates who came to the week the other week on fatherhood and I was nervous inviting them. Imagine that. I thought, gee, I hope this goes okay. I hope Dave Moore is not too awkward. <laughs> no, that's not actually right. And, and, and I, know, you know, I, I know what goes on behind the scenes. I've seen the mission team working really, really hard behind the scenes. I knew that it was going to be an, a good event and yet I still felt, felt this pang of anxiety as I invited these two blokes. But that was, a, that was the easy part, right? <laughs> the hard part is now continuing the conversation and somehow getting them talking not just about fathering but actually about Jesus. But my foot is in the door now, right? And I'm not going to take it out. Friends, without hindrance is the banner we fly under. And the only question is, will we proclaim it boldly? And again, as a church, we, we want to help you to do this. If you want to speak to your mates about Jesus, it takes time, doesn't it? It's very difficult to get in more than little bits and pieces of the gospel in a normal kind of conversation. It's very difficult to get uh, everything out in one go. In fact, I don't think I've, you know, only a few times have I ever managed to be able to do that. We don't get to unpack with them sin and judgment and the cross and the resurrection all in one entire package. Usually it's just these little bite-sized chunks of the gospel or maybe it's just, you know, talking about how the gospel shapes the way that I live and things like that. But an invitation to something like the Life Series, though it's hard and a gutsy move, here's what it does. It actually gives people the space, gives people time and it gives people agenda items to talk about what they believe and then find out what you believe. And it's actually awesome. If you haven't been to the Life Series, you can just come along and check it out one time. You don't even have to bring a friend. Just come along, check it out. Maybe you're here today and you you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. And you're thinking, I would like to find out more about Jesus. Well, I want to invite you to come. Come and join us. Let us know. You can let us know on the little connect cards on your table there. It's going to be a great time. It starts this week. Jono and Ellie will tell us a little bit more about it later. But someone will give you a call if you put your name down on one of those connect cards and hand it up at the connect table a little bit later. But if you're a regular, this, I think this is the area of boldness that I, I want to encourage you to step into. 
Now, maybe this is too basic for you. Maybe you're really, really good at evangelism and you always get into conversations about Jesus, but I reckon for most of us, the next step towards boldly proclaiming Jesus in a context without hindrance is actually an invitation. I would love you to be able to take that next step, to invite them to come along to something like the Life Series or to church. Move beyond that, they know that I'm a Christian, to invitation. Why do we want to do that? Well, because Acts 28 is not the end of the story. I think Luke finishes here and not with Paul's release or even with his eventual martyrdom in around 64 AD. I I think he finishes here because it leaves, leaves us with this sense that the mission of God is actually bigger than Paul. It's bigger than the book of Acts. This is not the final chapter of God's mission. Luke doesn't end with the words, the end. And he doesn't end with the words, the end, because of how he starts. Remember how he starts? Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Remember, Jesus began his mission here on earth in around 33 AD, and it doesn't end with Paul in Rome. In 2021, Jesus' mission continues here with us, and it's actually a privilege to be on mission with Jesus. I realised this morning that I'm actually really excited about what the future holds for us here in Newcastle. I really do have this sense that we are on the brink. If we can be motivated, if we can make invitations, we are on the brink of loads and loads of people coming to find their hope and trust in Jesus. Will you join us? Preaching the kingdom with all boldness and God willing, without hindrance. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the book of Acts. We thank you for the way it ends and it tells us that your mission is not over and you invite us into that. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be bold. Help us to take courage. And we thank you that at the moment we can preach without hindrance. And Father, we, we also pray for the Jewish people. We pray that many, many of them will come to see that the hope of Israel is actually the person of Jesus, that the Messiah has come, the fulfilment of their Old Testament scriptures. And we pray, Father, that you would help us, if we know people like this, to preach good news to them to preach the fulfilment of the kingdom to them. Father, we also ask that um, you would help us to firstly receive that good news with grace and humility and thankfulness that we were included in your great salvation plan to the ends of the earth. Amen.